This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malad. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 1. This season highlights the stories of immigrants and refugees from all around the world, as well as some organizations that work with and for these beautiful people. My guest today is my dear friend, Rama Raghavan. Originally, he's from India, but now a U.S. citizen. Our boys became best friends in elementary school, ushering in lasting family bonds. Since those early years, my family has moved quite often, and yet our friendship still remains strong. Our boys have celebrated high school graduations with each other, Christmas, and we vacation together. I think you get the picture. This is my friend. I value his opinion and friendship in my life. I have learned so much from Rama and his wife, and I am thrilled he's here with us today to share his story. Before we begin, though, I'd like to dispel a myth about immigrants. When the word immigrant comes to mind, do you think of an impoverished, down-on-their-luck foreigner from a lower socioeconomic class than yourself? Most people do. The ones that immediately pop into our minds are the ones most often fleeing for their lives from oppression, abject poverty, or extreme violence. I admit that I used to think that way before I met people who dispelled this myth. Immigrants to our country come from all socioeconomic backgrounds. Many come here on a work visa and love it so much they apply to be a permanent resident. Others come as international students who end up applying for work visas after graduating from a U.S. university and end up making a successful life for themselves here. According to a MigrationPolicy.org article, Indian immigrants have much higher educational attainment compared to the foreign and U.S.-born populations. In 2015, for example, 77% of Indian adults had a bachelor's degree or higher, compared to just 29% of all immigrants and 31% of native-born adults. Notably, among college-educated Indian immigrants, more than half have an advanced degree. Did you know that 2.4 million Indian immigrants reside in the United States? This makes the foreign-born from India the second-largest immigrant group after Mexicans, but account for almost 6% of the 43.3 million foreign-born population. Incredible. So why am I talking with Rama? Admittedly, he doesn't feel marginalized, and this is a podcast about those living on the margins of society. But if you consider the margins to include minority populations, he would fit that category. And I wanted his opinion. I needed to hear what he thought about it. To be honest, I never considered him marginalized. I only ever thought of him as a friend. I had to ask him if he ever experienced discrimination. His answer might surprise you. It did me. This is a conversation about Rama's experience growing up in India and growing a family in the United States while cultivating friendships with people from all backgrounds and ethnicities. This is also a discussion of diversity and inclusion, one that we can all benefit from. Rama, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it so much. This is going to be so much fun. It, it's a pleasure. This is, this is fun, and thank you for reaching out, firstly. Because a lot of this discussion, honestly, is more, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an interesting conversation. And it's nice when you are able to talk it out with somebody 
Yes. And it's, it's different opinion. Everybody has a different opinion. Yes. But until we, we reach out and talk to each other, you'll never know. That's and the truth. I'll, have, I'll, I'll be in my own bubble. You'll be in your bubble. And we'll be living in, in bubbles throughout our life. But having this exchange, I think, honestly, helps, helps me uh, as a person as well. Me too. Well, you've already started with such wisdom, so maybe we should just close now because you've just dropped the mic right from the beginning. <laughs> I love it. Yes, this is what all our conversations are like. We might not have the same opinion, but that's the beauty of it. And I love hearing your opinion and I learn from it every single time. You bring a perspective that is often new to me. Um, and one I always appreciate. So I can't wait to see where this conversation goes. All right. Well, let's start with the first question. That is what everybody wants to know, where you're originally from, what is your age, and how long you've lived in the United States. Okay. So I'm from India. I um, am I'm 52 years old. Um, and I've been in the U.S. for about 25 years now. Uh, what state in India specifically are you from? So I grew up, um, so I was born in one state, it's called Tamil Nadu, but I did grow, grow up in, in uh, a, a state called Karnataka, but the more important was the city that people are more familiar with, which is Bangalore. Bangalore, okay. And is that Southern south, India? It's the South, yeah. It's okay. South, yeah. How many languages do you speak? Well, so obviously, uh, grew up learning all our medium of instruction and everything is English. So, so I obviously can talk and converse in English. Now, outside of that, I know probably about the other languages that I can talk fluently. Uh, and then two other languages that I can understand, but I may not be able to talk back. And each of these are against uh, South Indian or Indian languages. Uh, I don't know French or, or, or mm -hmm. Spanish or others, but um, but still they are different languages. They have their own uh, script and dialects and, and they are like separate languages. Always impressive. Do you get to use them still? Are you, do you still converse and, and talk in those? Yeah, languages? so like for example, at home, um, you know, Priya and I, we talk, in a language that's not uh, English, so we can talk. And and uh, and mom, my you know my mom or my family, we we talk in Tamil. Um, I watch some movies, and uh, let's say they are in Hindi, for example. Then, mm -hmm. then after that, uh, a little less can with some people I run into that are from Bangalore, and we catch up in that language. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so yeah, yeah, definitely at least two or two or three other languages uh, we're still in touch with. And how many siblings do you have? Do they live in the States or do they still reside in India? So I have uh, two and my brother is here in the US. He is in uh, New England, Boston area. And um, my sister, she is in India. She's in Chennai. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, she's lived there all her life. Do you get to go back and visit her often? Um, we do. Now, um, when my own kids were, were young, we would almost travel every year during summer or at least every other year. Mm -hmm. And then as kids grow up, then their summer commitments and all that. So the times start to, sh to shrink. 
but we do try to visit about once in uh, two or three years, like once every, every other year, I guess. How different was it living in India and growing up there than what your kids received growing up here in Texas? It is, it is quite different as a parent or as an, as an individual, it's a lot different. But I, but I think in some ways I may have to even put a disclaimer that if I grew up in India now, like the kids in India now, mm-hmm. are also in a different place than we were when we were kids. Right? Oh yeah, so, that makes sense. Um, so with that said, so I, you know, I would say, let's start with this. You know, we um, are. I would say a middle, lower middle class family as we grew up. Okay. Now, what that meant really is, um, you know, food, shelter, no problems. Right? You know, from that standpoint, it's not a problem. But we didn't have, like, we didn't have a car. We didn't, you know, we didn't have a telephone in the house. Mm-hmm. We didn't even have a, a TV until I was in high school. And, um, and so, which meant like most of the time you come back after school hours, you're out with your friends, you're, you know, playing uh, outside um, most field games and things. It's, it wasn't like organized professional sports, but mm-hmm. it was more kids getting together and playing. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. I, I would, I, I cherish my childhood, um, you know, enjoyed that. And then we'd walk around. Um, a lot of fruit trees and we would uh, enjoy just, you know, uh, climbing on some neighbor's trees and, mm-hmm. and eating fruit out of their trees. And it was never a problem. We would, mm-hmm. it, it would be in neighbors. And, and so, um, so I think it was, it was fun. Uh, I enjoyed it and it is not different. I think that there was, there was not violence, if you will, there was not so much violence. Mm-hmm. And today in this, as I'm seeing my kids grow, that there seems to be, you know, this, this unknown fears for whatever reason, mm. you know, different um, things coming together, whether it's school violence or other things. But, you know, as kids, we were growing, that, that was not even in our minds. Could you explain what role religion played in your childhood? Yeah, so um, I'm... Uh, a Hindu by by birth, um, and it is a predominant religion within India. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, um, in terms of our daily life, there was uh, certain religious traditions around prayers in the mornings, and um, you know, playing some. Uh, religious, you know, music or whatever in the house. Mm-hmm. That was normal, and I think it's normal in almost every household, you know, growing mm-hmm. up. Um, but it didn't mean it was more a, a, a fanatical uh, religious mindset. Mm-hmm. It was more for self-peace or, or if you will it was you know calming yourself down in some ways if you think about it now that said um even though i, I was a hindu i went to a a catholic school mm-hmm. it, i mean by catholic school it's run by the, the catholic organization mm-hmm. but they weren't um 
you know, they weren't forcing, you know, Christianity or others to people in there. Um, it was mostly your sciences and regular classes. Then you would have an hour or two, I forget a week, that would be religious studies. And then I personally, I had growing up, I had a, a Christian friends and Muslim friends. And I, we are still friends, actually. I, and one of them is in Australia right now. We're in touch almost every uh, couple other weeks. Um, I've got other Muslim friends. Uh, we did not have a whole lot of Jewish uh, relation, uh, religion, religious people in that community mm-hmm. I was at least. But um, it was not as much contentious discussions like things are happening today. Mm-hmm. We were just friends and they mm-hmm. would eat in our house, we would eat in their house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was just normal. Um, I love the inclusivity that seemed to be just normal in your growing up years. When you're a kid, uh, right, you know, at that age, you know, one, two, three, everything is um, unbiased. You enjoy or the kid enjoys everything, standing up, falling down, picking this up. Mm-hmm. There is no separation or, yes. or disaggregate, you know, this uh, segregation, disaggregation. But then, unfortunately, as you grow up, you create those divisions in your mind. So it almost feels like the grown-ups have to go back in life to, to almost relearn what it means to just uh, assemble. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's going to be lots of tidbits of wisdom in here. Everyone's going to have to just pause and just let that soak in. Because again, here comes Rama's wisdom. I love it. And I see that that's how you raised your boys, because that's why my boys and your boys are such great friends because that was just normal to them. They didn't think twice about anything other than this is my friend. And, uh, and then they let us be friends. And I love that. And it, it is mutual, completely mutual. And, and that's mm-hmm. awesome. Our relationship, kids and us, it's phenomenal. I would cherish that every single day. Me too. Me too, Rama. What made you decide to come to the U.S.? I got a job in an IT company and I was working for them for about three years or three or four years. And uh, at that time... This was in India? That was in India. Okay. That was in India. And uh, and then they had an assignment for uh, a a on-site partnership. We were doing work with a company in the U.S. And so that's what brought me to the U.S. Work visa... And um, I was here in, uh, actually, my first city in the U.S. was Ann Arbor, Michigan. So it's a very small place. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> was um, it culture shock? It, the, the, well, yeah. So let's talk about that culture yeah. shock. Yeah. <laughs> there's a multitude of, uh, I would say, uh, the best way to describe it is it was a shock and awe. Uh, was uh, the the awe part was you know amazing you know it's it's clean air or roads are clean people are driving in their lanes which mm-hmm. is not common in places <laughs> like India or uh, you know such uh, other places um, people aren't honking it's like it, for some reason or the other in India you you, you could tell if you visit. Um, people constantly honk on the mm-hmm. road. Like, get out of my way. I need to move forward. Yeah. But you hear like there's a lot of traffic and no 
on king <laughs> uh, that was like uh that was that was it was an awesome thing to you know and then you have these i'll call it tailored yards and you know lawns and manicured gardens if you will think of that nature it, mm-hmm. it was all put in place with a purpose mm-hmm. compared to just let it grow i don't know you know it's it's different yeah but it was it was awesome i had a great experience the shock part i would say is um um I numerous numerous things again similar to uh, you know as much as i enjoyed it there were like moments of um like you couldn't go anywhere without a car uh, mm-hmm. that, that, was, that was hard uh, because when you landed in i obviously didn't own a car or i didn't rent a car it was uh and then you go into mcdonald's there was a, a culture shock around um you know i grew up as a vegetarian mm-hmm. and so i ate no meat no chicken no fish nothing and you walk into mcdonald's and i'm staring at the sign post and it's like what do i order here yeah um and then i remember vaguely remember that when i ordered okay i, I want a hamburger without the burger without, without. <laughs> they're like what do who you does want? that <laughs> one a couple of months is that what so you get you got this look and they're like is this all you want i like i'm like a yes <laughs> that's all yeah food so, has to be one of the biggest shocks coming i mean it's so so vastly different and i'm sure when you came back in the was it 90s Yeah, it was about yeah, 92, 93ish. Yeah. There probably weren't very many Indian restaurants yeah. in Ann Arbor. <laughs> yeah, not many Indian restaurants um and also not many restaurants, not even other now I can go to restaurants and mm-hmm. they are receptive to it even if it's not on the menu you can have them yes. Uh, they substitute this for that and they've been super super awesome. You just need to ask. Mhm. Um but i think it has changed my experience at least it has changed significantly in the last 20 years mhm yeah so food was your biggest culture shock people were welcoming to you people people were welcoming absolutely welcoming good um, it was uh, it was almost interesting to see you know the you know when people cross each other they would always have pleasantries like you know hi hello how are you mm-hmm. um, the uh, the interesting part is another i would say culture shock is you know pleasantries and uh personal were not the same but what i mean by that is, you know the pleasantries are more a matter of factly hi hello how are you then when somebody said hey hi how are you i thought okay now we are engaging in a conversation i yeah. would like I would stop and say hey you know uh, where do you live you know are you down the street those got into a little personal front so it took a little bit of a while for me to understand it like okay i'm not stalking you i uh, i, I thought <laughs> i am so i'm now starting a conversation with you yeah yeah so there's a, but it's good right it's pleasantries are good was that aspect the your hardest adjustment moving here or 
missing family and friends, just missing, I guess, anytime we go somewhere new, whether we travel across our own country or we travel to new countries, the thing we miss the most is the familiarity, the known, the food, the way we acknowledge each other, those types of things. Were those your hardest adjustments or did you have anything deeper that went a little deeper? Yeah, I would say the like you said, it's the uh, called the adjustments of the vocabulary or uh, mm. the verbals, um, just in the way that we we talk. We even though it's English, there's a different way of of talking English, and mm-hmm. and the way that I say a sentence. Um, is different from what an American person, like let's say I came from India and I I talk English, the way I talk English is different from the way an American talks English, the way you emphasize certain words, um, Mm -hmm. the the intonations of the word, right? So right there, what happens is when you utter a sentence, there is that that verbal pause between people that, that takes a while to adjust. It's like, okay, are they not, getting what I'm saying? Am I offending people? Um, Mm -hmm. And then also you can look at the, the, as a result of the verbals, there are some visuals in my mind, meaning the other person is like, I don't get what you're saying. What is it that you're saying again? Mm -hmm. And it's like, come again, what what are you saying? And I'm like, you don't get it. You know, those, it took a while for me to get adjusted on, on some of that. It's not that we weren't, we were trying to communicate, but we were talking past each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that was hard because it then gets into feelings. Yes. And it, it gets into the feelings and now it becomes, um, um, likes dislikes immediately you you create opinions about it and yeah. unfortunately the first first impressions become you know some lasting opinion about things so the way you you you, you come off then it became you know you you now associate personalities with those opinions and mm-hmm. it just layers on and on and on yes and it took a while to parse that out so you're saying you felt uh, a little bit judged because your English wasn't equal to the English around you and people were were second guessing what you were saying because your emphasis was on the wrong part of the word and maybe that didn't make you quite as smart as you actually were because they were judging your English because it was different. Yeah, it, it was yeah, it was different or the um, yeah, exactly. I think it was also more about self-confidence in mm. some the mm-hmm. moment you're more self-confident, you're able to re, you know, uh, demonstrate, you know, demonstrate that that thing in a in a in a little bit more better way over time, and you start yeah. learning. And your confidence builds. So, moral of the story: we can all just be patient with people. And I think that would go a long way in helping to increase the confidence, right? Yeah, it's increased and, and it becomes more, um, you know, less of a, a contention between people and they're becoming a little bit more, uh, you know, accepting of each other. And mm-hmm. every one of those things just start going, you know. For sure. When you 
have an understanding of other people's languages, you have a little bit more of an understanding of other people's cultures. It shows you're trying, right? So I just think that effort in itself, just trying to speak the language, even if it's imperfect, shows your openness. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Immigrant and Refugee Center of Northern Colorado making Northern Colorado a home for all who live here. Whatever circumstances brought you to Northern Colorado, we are so glad you're here now. IRC NOCO is here to help you find your way. We want to be the doorway through which cross-cultural sharing and experiences occur. Whether you are new to this area or you are a part of the receiving community, we want to be your resource for information and services related to moving our community forward together. Through information sharing, dialogue, and events where we can all come together as one, we are investing into our shared prosperity. Empower. Connect. Advocate. Learn more at www.ircnoco.org. When you were saying in the beginning that you grew up lower middle class, um, United States has the same type of class system, the wealthy, the upper middle class, the middle class, lower middle class, poor. Um, Yet, I don't know that we would say out loud we have a class system. But I know that a lot of people, when they think of India, they think of the caste system. Was that just kind of like it is here, just kind of implicit it's here we don't really think of it or was is that something that is a very known a given in india i don't really know anything about that but i've heard about it could you explain that to us so let me put it this way so um there were people that if you look at the way the caste system i personally don't i think it's a misunderstood concept Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a bit in the, in the entire Western, uh, you know, Western civilization. When I say Western European American, mm-hmm. uh, they immediately have made some judgment about what it could be or is, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But I think even in India, it's it's more extremely historical in how it evolved, mm-hmm. where people that were uh, warriors. Um, uh, you know, people that were kings and warriors uh, was considered like one class because now they had to be, you know, r- you know, ruling the, uh, you know, the, the country, uh, the kingdom, etc., etc. Kingdom. Then you have these priesthood and education, if you will. So think of them as, uh, you know, the the uh, think tanks and the educators and things of that nature that people that become priests that become schools education system learning mm-hmm. that, that kind of a, a group and then you had you know other in in some ways it looks like you've created certain functions for a a, a entire society to move along and okay. in order in order for that society to move along, you needed some vertical expertise in certain areas. So it was meant to be that you build certain vertical specialities. 
it sounds like a way to organize the country, like a way of organizing people. It sounds like what you're saying to me, it sounds like that's just historically what countries have done. That's right. And, and, and sometimes I, I reflect on this and I look at the company. A company has got human resources group. It has uh, sales and marketing. It has, you know, uh, technology. Mm-hmm. Think of that as, okay, you know, you organize your company to, to different uh, functions, finance. So it's similar in life. You had a merchant, you had, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. I think where it got to me, all of the, the, the cha- challenges and the problems is when you start saying, um, you know, you, you start having these, um, you, you know, putting people down if you're in one group mm. and then denying people from going from one group to the other group because I'm interested in it. It's, it's more like, hey, I'm interested in being a king. Can I become a king? Yeah. No, you shall not because you are not in that lineage, right? Those, I feel like those are human segregations that have caused the what caste system is now considered absolute bad thing. It's because there was this human, over the years, the, the, the human opinion and influences have then created a, a, um, a segregation in how people are treated. Then it became, okay, you don't treat a person from one caste the same as the other caste. Oh. That became now a human violation which is a bad thing. Right? Oh, I love so, the way you put that. It yeah. sounds like instead of just seeing this as an organizational way and not treating people differently between the organizations, one organization might have felt that they were better because they think that this job is better. So it's a learned behavior to treat somebody from another classification in a negative terms. Is that what you're saying? Exactly right. In negative terms, and then that builds on, and now you start creating fences. You mm. shall not step here because you're of this caste. Or now, then the caste system has got so much wrath and and uh, and things about what it is when it really didn't start that way. And, I really appreciate you giving us that background. That really helps me see it in my head and see it as more of a humanity problem, not a cultural problem. Yeah. Could you share with us a little about what you do for work and how you landed in this field? My job is uh, technology and IT oriented. And um, that has had significant evolution in the last 25 years. It's just, I just enjoy my work. You love what you do. All of us wish we could find that, don't we? We had spoken on the phone uh, prior to this conversation, and I actually had to ask you if you ever felt marginalized. And you're like, actually, I don't feel like I do. So could you explain to me if you have ever felt discrimination, since this is a podcast that kind of focuses on um, the people who who feel pushed to the sides a little bit, um, if you've ever felt that? I I do think that, it, it depends on how you um, start interpreting certain actions and and start um, and and start 
thinking and rethinking about those actions to see what might that have meant. Meaning, are you trying to find um, the, the hidden motives behind something that probably never existed to begin with? Mm -hmm. Or was there some subtle things that, that are occurring that you're, you're trying to read into it? So, so the question is, are you reading too much into it? Or are you actually missing something that, that is mm. being, being said? And, uh, and, and like, like a case in point, um, you know, uh, it has occurred more than once where, you know, people try to either ask for my name or uh, try to write down my name and they go, you know, how do you say this? And then it's like, have you ever thought of being, um, you know, uh, of changing your name to John Smith? Oh, so, so now the question is, um, I can take it as a joke and make make a little humor about it and move on. Mm -hmm. I can dwell about that and say, was there some hidden intention? How do you interpret something? And then how was it actually interpreted by that person telling you? And And those are... Uh, really hard things. It depends on how um, intense some of those, like like the name thing wasn't intense. Mm -hmm. The emotion behind it, yeah. And the emotion and the band, and then you can walk away. There may be other things that then become um, more personal, more intense, and then mm -hmm. start feeling, you know, okay, I'm not accepted here, and I'm not, uh, you know, um, accepted part of the group or part of the uh, community or, or am I being, you know, said something that, that, that doesn't go well. So I like your perspective, Rama, because you are such an optimistic person and you really give people the benefit of the doubt from just saying what you said, you think, ah, oh, there really was nothing behind that. Maybe that was just ignorance talking. He didn't mean to get rid of all of my ancestry and history and lineage in that comment. That's not what was intended. So it seems like you really give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, a minor insensitivity. I'm not going to let that bother me. And uh, that takes a lot of character and a very, a person who knows who they are and not intimidated easily. And that sounds like you to me. And I appreciate you teaching me that not to always look too deep into what people are saying. Just take them at face value, right? Yeah. And I, and I think where, it, where it, if things keep happening over and over and over again, and it probably starts to then scar you. Mm -hmm. But if you really try not to overthink that, and mm -hmm. like you said, give that benefit or doubt, let's move on. Let's see, maybe we just get past it, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, so and I think the other angle to that I want to also share is um, just as how you think you're being treated, the other person may feel similarly with the way you're saying to them, which you, yes. don't, you don't realize either, right? So um, you always feel like somebody else is wrong. What, how, about, how about you are wrong? Yeah, some self-reflection would do us good. Maybe I said something. That do a lot of good. Uh, and yeah. 
Maybe I didn't even know I said something insensitive. And if you immediately respond with anger or offense, maybe that's a lost opportunity for me to learn. That's a really good point. We need to turn it back in ourselves and think how many people are being patient with me in something I don't even know anything about or my insensitivities. Right, right. And I think it's where we we feel comfortable or blissfully unaware within our bubbles. So we are, each one of us or our group, or I'll call it that group, let's say, for lack of a a better association, uh, a group of Indians, they are comfortable within that bubble for some reason, right? They're comfortable within the bubble. Or even myself in my own actions, I may be comfortable within my bubble. But um, but then when when kind of the bubbles uh, cla- you know tap each other, then there seems to be a lot of a lot of differences in how we don't see that. So what if we all just break open all our bubbles, and 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 maybe that that's a better place to be. Another nugget of wisdom. Everybody, pause and think of that. Break open your bubble. I love it. Thank you so much, Rama. Since you're on a wisdom roll, is there anything you would like Americans to know about Indians that maybe we misjudge or misunderstand or even put in a box that they shouldn't be in? That is um, a lot of, I'll call it, there's a lot of diversity right within, within India. I would call it that way. There's a a whole lot of diversity, and the diversity could be language, um, cultures, um, you know. um, So as you crawl through the, I'll call it the tapestry of India, Mm -hmm. you're going to find a, a whole lot of diversity right within that small country. And, um, and, I, and, and to me, that, that, uh, that kind of tapestry I'd like to see in the U.S. And, uh, mm. I'm a citizen of, of America, and, and my kids are here. And, and it's almost like when I came into this country, I was going to be working for a few years, maybe get my master's degree, which I eventually got. And one of these days, I was going to go back to India. And um, and it's almost every, I feel like every Indian goes through it. It's like, okay, let's spend another year. Everything is awesome. You know, it's cool. I'll spend another year and then I'll spend another year. And then you have your kids, mm-hmm. kids grow up, then you get settled in and, and then everything is fine. You're here permanently, right? Um, when you say here permanently, what it, what it means is really, I've, so when you take like at least from India, when you take U.S. citizenship, you surrender the Indian passport. You're no no longer an Indian citizen. So mm-hmm. I'm not an Indian citizen anymore. So so to me, I'm a I'm a U.S. citizen. I am from here. My kids are born here. They are U.S. citizen. They, mm-hmm. So so to me, this this I'll call it this this aggression like comments how we are talking about when you go down to the kids it's quite possible that somebody would look at them and say where are you from mm-hmm. them they are from here 
right? The, the, the skin color and the, mm -hmm. the visuals don't look that way, but they are from here. Mm -hmm. you know, where are you from? And they would say, I'm from America. Mm -hmm. They're not, I'm from India. Well, ancestrally, we are from India. The, the, the kids, it's almost like you roll the time back in U.S. to during the first immigrant or mm -hmm. immigration, which now people have forgotten, right? People in U.S. have forgotten that, that there was an ancestral from Europe. There was an yes. ancestral from, you know, other places. That then you hear comments like, go home. You know, you, you hear all these things like, go home. Okay, um, if I were to say the same thing to go home to you, which, what is your home? Exactly. Where do you, do you make them go? So mm -hmm. to me, I'd like to see that, that tapestry of, of um, cultural differences become part of this great nation of America. So the whole fabric woven together instead of all these individual strands. Yeah, yeah. So we shouldn't just assume American equals white. American equals people of every color. Their ancestors came here, immigrated here. Mine might have immigrated here four generations ago. Your sons might have immigrated here a generation ago. Um, right. It is no different. They're still Americans. So we could become more sensitive about asking that. Maybe what is your ancestry? Like, would that be a better question for people to ask if they are interested in knowing more about your sons, even though they're American citizens? What is a better way for us to inquire, to show interest? Yeah, I, I don't know either, but I think that's a good point. We should, we should think about that. And maybe that may be one way of asking it is what is your, what is your ancestry? Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I'm still exploring that. If I asked a white person the same question, mm -hmm. would, they be, would they be offended or would they be able to um, be able to engage in a, in a conversation from there? That's a really good point because, so, so you asked me, where are you from? I immediately just think of my state and then I think of my parents. Well, my story is part of my parents' story. They're from the Northeast. Their parents were born here, but their parents' parents were not. They immigrated from different countries um, in Europe. So it's just assumed that I'm American, right? I have the accent, I have the color, and I live in the States. But like you were saying about India, there's so much cultural diversity. We shouldn't all be lumped together. It should be unique. Like, what is it about my Polish and my Italian and my British heritage that makes me unique? Like, what is it about your Indian heritage that makes you unique? Like, we're having this discussion. What things from your culture bring beauty to the United States? And what things about my ancestors' culture brought beauty or not beauty? <laughs> to the United States and how can we all live with, with that integration? Maybe. Yeah, I think, yeah, integration and, and that, that, um, that inclusiveness, mm -hmm. um, you know, increasing our, our, our knowledge around, around outside of us. Yes. That's one thing that I found that coming from another country is 
you're coming in with so many disparate knowledge and, and input, then you come into US and you are in this big US bubble. Yes, it's very insular and yeah. ethnocentric, egocentric. Yeah, we do se seem to have a very limited perspective. And it's wonderful to have the perspective of people who come from other countries because it opens our eyes. It opens our views to what other people experience. And it only improves the, the strength. It improves. Yes. We, we, we get to a better place. Honestly, we can get to a better place faster than any other country in the world. Mm. Well, I know it's improved me dramatically from having the relationship with you and Priya that we have. You opened our eyes up to so many things that we would never have had the opportunity to otherwise. I feel like a better person for that relationship. And imagine how many people could learn new things. I guess you have to be open first, right? Yes, yes. So, um, <clears throat> so it's almost like to, to be open first, it's almost a, one of those quotes that ring the bell in my mind is, you know, um, in is the only way out. Um, in is the only way out. Who said that? Do you know? So that, is, that was um, uh, the Sadhguru. And honestly, it's about how do you, you know, how do you, uh, how do you either control or manage the, the ripples in your mind to a point where it is still enough to be receptive mm. to everything that is going on around you. So the more receptive you are, then you're able to respond to things rather than reacting to things. Let's pause and think about that nugget of wisdom. In is the only way out. I'm going to really be meditating on this the rest of the day because the first thing that I thought when you said that was so many of us look for another way out. We look for another door. We look for another window. We pray to God, God, please open the door for me so that I can get out of this situation, right? But maybe that's not what it is. Maybe we need to deal with that mess that's in that room before we can walk back out the way we so, came in. Absolutely. Yes. We, we have ourselves, we've created a lot of messes. Let's, let's understand and unwind our messes. Mm else will be a blissful experience. I was doing a little research before our interview, and I did not realize that Indians make up the second largest amount of immigrants to the U.S. after Mexicans. Um, so there is quite a lot of community support amongst uh, fellow Indians throughout the country. There's lots of hubs where lots of Indians live. Do you think that also helps in um, integrating into a new culture and country better if you know that you have quite a large support system of people who can relate to you and to relate to the same food you like and can speak your language periodically with you and does that help in itself in and it of itself doesn't help with integration to me that then at least makes you comfortable in a new place Right. And, mm -hmm. But what I don't want people to start becoming is 
that that they create you keep using going back to my bubble concept i don't want them to now create a mini bubble in mm. the new place and then stay in that bubble you have to get out and and break your comfort level to be be inclusive and integrate and look at new things and and so that that to me i mean so essentially it helps ease you in but let's not stop there is there any proverb that you would teach your boys as they were growing up that was an indian proverb that had a lot of meaning to you that your parents might have taught you that you would like to pass on to us uh, so i'll say it in hindi first so it goes this way it's a naach na jaane aangan tera it's literally it means that um one who does not know how to dance which i have no i cannot <laughs> so one who does not know how to dance they then claim that the stage is actually tilted so it's not that it's not that i don't know how to dance it's it's the stage that's not tilted it's almost saying you know a, a bad workman uh, you know always tends to blame his tools ah so it's it's telling you not to be a victim of your circumstances yeah, there you go so so see how you can connect that back to your wow too is don't play a victim to a situation that really wasn't there wow what's the most important thing you want people to know about you i'm super you know super thankful for um the the relationship and the friendship that we've had with you you know i'm thankful for my my family but i feel like i'm most thankful i would say for my my health for example right what what i mean by that is uh, i'm glad i'm healthy so then now i can do many things mhm well, we'll uh, count that as you're thankful <laughs> <laughs> you already answered what you were most thankful for that's beautiful that's so true we do take that for granted very often don't we yeah, yeah sadly do you have a a best tip to make the world a better place or do you think that proverb is probably the best tip i i think i think that 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 either the proverb or i would say the best tip would be uh, in is the only way out yeah both of them those are both beautiful and heavy and deep like we could sit and think on that for the next couple years and still not come up with a solid answer Now's your time to give your favorite quote. All right, so my quote was um from uh, Franklin Covey which is um begin with an end in mind. You visualize the way you want some things to end up. And I I applied that in many places. It could be as simple as my staff meeting. Mhm. what do you want to end it's not about we all got together for an hour the time's up we leave and move on mm-hmm. it's about, okay what do you so so begin with that end in mind and you act based on your thoughts right so that's kind of what i'm i'm hearing from you you're not letting life happen to you you're yeah. 
That's kind of taking charge of it. It's more, pro, it's more proactive yeah. in that engagement. It's a mm-hmm. proactiveness in that engagement. Mm-hmm. Oh, Rama, thank you so much for this time and this conversation. As usual, I've learned so much from you and always appreciate any chance we get to talk. Yeah, this, is, this has been super fun. And thank you for the opportunity. And it's, it's awesome. So thank you. Rama's perspective reminds us that not everyone is affected by discrimination the same way. It's important to remember and respect that each person experiences discrimination differently. I really appreciate how Rama chooses to give people the benefit of the doubt when a comment or gesture thrown at him could be taken as offensive. He chooses not to take it that way and offers kindness and understanding in return. I wish for that strength of love for my fellow human. But he also recognizes discrimination is legitimate and serious when the comment, offense, or action happens repeatedly and needs to be taken care of. I was so convicted about our call to greater self-reflection. That is always a good thing. I also really like his reference to how we tend to live in our own bubbles unless we seek each other out and ask about their opinions and experiences. I love his call for us to break open our bubbles and learn to integrate and appreciate each other. My conversation with Rama reminded me of something Eckhart Tolle says, Non-reaction is not a weakness, but a strength. Another word for it is forgiveness. To forgive is to overlook or look through. You look through the ego to the sanity that is in every human being as his or her essence. I see this strength in Rama. May we all find opportunities to show this kind of forgiveness in our lives. Let's go break open our bubbles. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.